Hello, brothers and sisters, friends, and family. Welcome back to the podcast. We took a little break. Took about a month off from doing the podcast. I think that's a good thing to do once in a while. Just take a little break, reassess, collect some thoughts about any endeavor in life. And this is something I like doing. I like writing things. I like doing the little bit of research that I do for the podcast. I like connecting with people. But I think it's good to deprive ourselves of things that we enjoy once in a while, whether that's one of our favorite foods, something we like to do. I think it's good to take a little time away just to rejuvenate our interest, to kind of increase our desire for doing those things. So I took a little break and worked on some other things, wrote some stuff, and now we're back. So first, good news. The organization we're highlighting this week is Fight for a Kid. Their website is fightforakid.org. This organization works with underprivileged children, specifically living in the favelas or ghettos of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and Macapá. I've been highlighting some Brazilian jiu-jitsu-related organizations lately, and this one's really at the heart of BJJ, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and this is helping children in Brazil. According to their website, this was this information, the statistics were published in 2018 that in Brazil, over 40% of young people, 14 years of age or younger, lived in poverty in Brazil. That's approximately 17.3 million. 17.3 million people, 14 or under, living in poverty. And about 13.5% of that age group were living in what was considered extreme poverty. And that's about 5.8 million young people. So the work this organization is doing is extremely important. They use jujitsu as a way to empower children, give them a a positive outlet, help them compete, find opportunities to to raise themselves up and to to get out of some of the negative situations they're in. I think that is one of the most powerful aspects of sport. And you can donate, you can sponsor a kid, you can do a number of things to help out Fight for a Kid at fightforakid.org. With that being said, I have to shout out another BJJ-related organization I've highlighted on the show before, Tap Cancer Out. I think that was maybe the first specific Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu nonprofit we highlighted. And a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to participate in one of the Tap Cancer Out tournaments. My son, Mickey, who is 11, uh, several members of our 
team from Tsunami Flow Jiu-Jitsu in Mason City, Iowa. We all went and competed at the tournament in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I cannot say enough good things about the day, about the event. The event was exceptionally well run. They keep things moving along. I think, I'm trying to think, weigh-ins I think started at 8 in the morning. Maybe it's when doors opened and competition started at like 9.30 for the first group. The youth groups went first. It was phenomenal. They got those going. Then the Masters Division, which was what I was in. Masters just means over 30 years old. It has nothing to do with skill level. It means you're just not so young. But then the Masters Division, the other adult divisions, and they do a great job. I think they had six mats going. They really have it moving along, so it's not a long, drawn-out day. I think we were done by about... 3 or 3.30, something like that, was the entire tournament. Great event. They raised a lot of money. The competition was great. It was a really fun day for our team. And just a great, great event. A lot of camaraderie. So I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Then just from sort of personal experience, it was so fun watching my son Mickey compete. It was his first jiu-jitsu tournament and my first jiu-jitsu tournament. I did taekwondo tournaments when I was a kid. Not a lot, but I did some when I was a kid. So I at least had a little tournament experience, but it was my first jiu-jitsu tournament as well. If you're someone who's starting out in jiu-jitsu, which I highly recommend for everyone, I think the Tap Cancer Out events are a great starter event if you'd like to do some competition. It was great for Mickey, and it was it was really fun because he was the first of our team to compete for the day. He was the only youth competitor, so kind of our whole group that went up there to compete were all together in his corner cheering him on, and just as a personal parental moment of pride. I was really, really proud of Mickey. He went out and he lost his first match in a difficult match. Kind of had a back and forth with the kid. He was in a good position at one point. They had a scramble and his back got exposed and this kid took his back and choked Mickey. Got a rear naked choke and Mickey had to tap out. And that's an experience. It's not, this is not a knock against any other sport, youth sport, but it's a little more shocking to the system when someone is choking you, your air is cut off and you're losing blood flow to your head and you have to tap out. That's a little different than say striking out in a little league game or something. It's a little more intense, a little more rattling. And Mickey came off the mat and was understandably upset and a little shook in. I can't say enough about our team of guys were there supporting him, pumping him back up. And then Mickey went out and had three more matches and submitted two of those guys with chokes and then won the last match on points to come back and get 
the silver medal. So that's just me doing a little bragging, I guess, or not so much bragging. I was just, I think it went as well as it could have for him as a learning experience. I think that's the most important thing with all of this stuff. That's why I've been highlighting jujitsu organizations. I think jujitsu, other martial arts, athletics in general, I'm a big proponent of athletics because you really can learn a lot of life skills. And I think it was just such a great day for him, learning experience, developmental experience, because he faced some real adversity and he really had to collect himself, practice some emotional intelligence, and come back and compete. That was really, really cool to see. I had a really fun day competing as well. We Several members of our team brought home some hardware, some medals. So it was just a, a fun, fun day and a great organization. Some individual good news as well. I don't record these podcasts way ahead of time. I think probably the better way to do it, the way a lot of the people I know who do podcasts do it, is they bank a bunch ahead of time and an episode might come out a month, two months after it's recorded. I'm usually like the week of or a week ahead. One, because I don't do a lot of editing on these, not surprisingly. And I want it to be pretty fresh, kind of what's on my mind, just for my sake. And hopefully keeps it kind of seeming fresh for anyone who does listen to this. But I had the opportunity today, I'm recording this on the Thursday before it comes out, had the opportunity to talk with a book club today, which is something fun I occasionally get to do. As someone who's written a book, I hesitate to call myself an author. It seems it's fine, but it's just, I don't know, I feel pretentious saying it, but as someone who has a book that is published, that's out, that people can read, I've had the opportunity to talk to some different groups about the book, and I was able to talk to a book club today that was just fantastic. It was a group of women who are all retired educators, three of whom were teachers in my elementary school, one of whom, Mrs. Sharon Steckman, was my teacher for three years of elementary school. I had her as my second grade teacher, my fourth grade teacher, and my fifth grade teacher. It may seem like I was a special case or something, but I had her in second grade. She went to teach abroad for a year, then came back to our elementary school. Shout out to Hoover Elementary in Mason City, Iowa. When she came back, she was in a fourth grade classroom, and I was going into fourth grade. I was so fortunate to be in her class. And in fact, it was a little surprise. My mom knew, but she let me be surprised. This was back in the day where you would go to 
registration for school and then see on that piece of paper your class list, that ever important thing that was such a big part of going back to school was seeing the class list, who your teacher was, who was in your class. And Mrs. Steckman, her last name changed because she got married in that year she was gone. So her last name was Battleson when I had her in second grade. She left. I loved her, loved her class. She left, heard she was coming back, and was taking a fourth grade class. So I desperately wanted to be in Ms. Battleson's class. And I get my class list, and I'm in Mrs. Steckman's class. And I am distraught because I really wanted Ms. Battleson. I don't know who this Mrs. Steckman is. My mom knew, but she didn't let on. So then it was this wonderful surprise that it was, in fact, the same teacher. So I got to have Ms. Steckman in fourth grade. She was wonderful. Then the next year, they were having Mrs. Steckman change classes again, this time moving up from the fourth grade to fifth grade. So she asked if she could keep her entire class to move up to fifth grade with her. That was awesome. So it's the same class we move up together from fourth grade to fifth grade. So I had Mrs. Steckman for three years of my six years in elementary school, including kindergarten. I had other wonderful teachers in elementary. I was so fortunate to have wonderful teachers in middle school and in high school. It's probably the biggest reason I am a teacher and a coach today is I had a good experience. I had great teachers and coaches around me who clearly cared about education, but more importantly, cared about the young people in their classrooms. It was so fun today getting to meet with this group of amazing women who still spoke so lovingly about their lives and education. Mrs. Steckman even brought a folder of mine that had some of my writing and doodles from second, fourth, and fifth grade. Unbelievable. It, it blows me away when I know teachers who have kept things like that. This is stuff that second grade was 30 years ago. <laughs> and there's something that I wrote, things I don't remember. She was pulling out class pictures and we're reminiscing about the different kids and and she and the other teachers are going on about the kids that they had 30 years ago and what they're doing now and and all this and it was truly inspiring i hope that i am always that passionate about education it was just just great it was great talking with them it was very nice i'm always flattered anyone Anytime anyone reads my book, Earnest from Earth, it kind of blows me away that people would want to read it or that anyone likes it. And I'm very appreciative of that. And it was just a, 
a lovely time, so I had to just mention that. What great people. It's one of the, the fun things I get to do sometimes. I always like to be writing something. Part of doing this podcast is a way for me to continue to exercise the creative muscles a little bit. This week's blog post is Better to Burn Out. My 10-year-old daughter Claire and I were listening to music. My My Hey Hey came on. The opening verse of that Neil Young song says, It's better to burn out than to fade away. I asked Claire if she knew what that meant. She provided an immediate and detailed analysis. Claire identified with the lyric and declared her intention to forever chase her passions and try new things. I like Claire's interpretation of that line. That sliver of that song has often become associated with living fast and dying young. That may have even been the intended meaning, but I like to think of it a little differently. For me, it's not about living recklessly and taking life for granted. I think it can be the opposite. It's about appreciating the gift that is life. It's accepting and acknowledging the brevity and wonder of life. It's burning as brightly as we can with whatever time we have. None of us knows how long we have on this earth. An unlit candle might outlast the flaming wick, but candles are meant for burning. We, too, were meant for brighter things. Like the candle, we bring light to the darkness. We do so by chasing our truths, by living deeply and authentically, by burning brilliantly. We do it by chasing our dreams and slaying our dragons and fighting for that which is just and good. That's not easy. Life requires bravery and sacrifice. It's an ongoing quest fraught with peril and pain. Sometimes we have to take risks. We have to put our chips onto the table and play the hands we're dealt. That's life. But lives are meant for living. Whether we burn out or fade away, the end is all the same. We're all marching toward the grave. We can try to hide, but time keeps passing with or without us. I hope Claire's right. I hope she always chases her dreams, even when it hurts. I want her to live many, many years beyond me, but more importantly, I want her to live with all her strength and beauty and courage. I want her to be herself, perfect in all her flaws, free and open. I want her to burn as brightly as she can. I sure like Claire's interpretation of that lyric. I, I don't think she was wrong. I think she had a pretty spot-on interpretation. It just had a nice optimistic tilt to it. That it wasn't just, yeah, live and then we're done. It was kind of more this idea of like, just don't ever stop living. And she was really adamant. She kind of kept going on about, I'm always going to try new things and I'm always going to do the things that make me happy. And I hope so. We often feel that way, I think, when we're young, that I'm just going to pursue the things that make me feel good, the things I'm passionate about. And somewhere along the lines, we lose some of that. But I think it's still in us. And 
I like to look at that lyric that way, that it's better to burn out than to fade away. They just keep chasing, keep doing, keep dreaming, and what happens, happens. Whatever time we have is sort of irrelevant. We need to fit in as much passion and as much good as we can in the here and now because that's what we have. And I liked hearing Claire talk about that. She's got a fire in her. She's pretty tough. She's pretty spunky. And I feel like a lot of my responsibility as a father is to just stoke that fire, to help her pursue the things for which she is passionate. And I hope she does chase every little bit of whimsy that comes her way throughout her entire life. That, to me, would be a pretty successful existence. Now we're going to get a little random. During the school year, one of the segments we do is our family time, which is sort of our social-emotional learning segment that we discuss in my classes each week. But since we don't do the family time during summer break, I wanted to just talk about some other random things. I am continually, pretty much every day, jotting down ideas, looking something up. I'm very fortunate that I get to talk to my students and my athletes almost every day when we're not in school. I'm with my athletes in the weight room and our strength and conditioning, our running, all those sorts of things. So I have a lot of opportunities. I'm always looking for what's another cool, inspiring story or what's something that I can share with them. I want all of them still learning. And I thought maybe we could bring a little bit of that into the podcast. Just these little, here's an inspirational thing I found, or here's something that I was contemplating that I wanted to share. The thing I want to share today, this is not a new thing that I discovered, but an example I share with my athletes once in a while, with my students once in a while. And that is the four minute mile. If You're not around track, you're not deep into athletics, anything like that. You may not know. The four-minute mile is this threshold, this barrier. So a mile, 5,280 feet. If you're running it on a track, a track is 400 meters. So the mile is 1,600 meters. It's four laps on the track. It's one of those things that's sort of a an arbitrary distance that's been around for a long time from what I've heard or little bits I've seen since probably the Roman Empire. There's been this measurement of a mile, but it's one of those things that kind of just works out perfectly as a milestone in athletics. The same way that a hundred mile an hour fastball thrown from 60 feet 6 inches from the pitcher's rubber to home plate is a milestone. Why does that work out that it's 100 miles an hour? 100 miles an hour coming out of the pitcher's hand. Just one of those things that it somehow works out beautifully, that it's 100. The 4-minute mile is the same. If you average a minute a lap... That's a four-minute mile. That's a very, very difficult thing to do. 
from the limited, re limited research I have done, it appears that athletes, runners, really started pursuing the idea of the four-minute mile probably in the 1880s. And for a long time, it was considered impossible. It was this impossible feat to run a mile in four minutes. To the point where some people believed one would die if they were able to run a four-minute mile. Athletes were actively pursuing this from the 1880s until the 1950s. And for 70 years, it doesn't happen. 70 years of really trying. Of course, it didn't happen before that either to anyone's knowledge. But really 70 years of focused attempts to do this and nothing. Then, on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister breaks the four-minute barrier in the mile. The second person to go sub four minutes in the mile was 46 days after Roger Bannister. So this feat goes uncontested for 70 years. It's thought impossible by many. Roger Bannister does it, and 46 days later, another person runs the four-minute mile, or a sub-four-minute mile. Since then, the sub-four-minute mile has been accomplished over a thousand times, even by high school athletes. Some high school athletes have broken the four-minute barrier. And it all started with Roger Bannister because he proved it was possible. That's such an important thing for us to believe in the possibility of something. For 70 years, many people thought it was impossible. Roger Bannister does it, then it's possible. Then other people are able to do it. That's one of the great things about the connectedness we do have in our modern society is we can find examples. We can find people who are doing the things we want to do, who are accomplishing goals. We can look to them as an example and know, know that this thing is possible. The next step is convincing ourselves it's possible for us. Whatever your dream is, whatever your goal is, the first step is believing it's possible. Now for random thoughts. Bacon. Bacon never takes second billing. Bacon is the A-list of A-list foods. It's a bacon cheeseburger. It's not a cheeseburger with bacon, even though it's primarily just a cheeseburger. It's still a beef patty. It's still cheese. It's still a bun. Throw the bacon in there. Now it's a bacon cheeseburger. It's not a 
tomato, lettuce, and bacon sandwich. It's a BLT. Bacon, lettuce, tomato. It's even bacon-wrapped shrimp. Not shrimp wrapped in bacon. You go to a diner and you order bacon and eggs. Not eggs and bacon. Bacon is A-list. Always takes top billing. Next, Paul Rudd. When I see an icon on Netflix for a Paul Rudd movie, I am not sure if that movie came out this year or 15 years ago because the dude has aged about six seconds in the last 20 years. Today, if you don't mind, I'm gonna leave you with a song. As I mentioned, part of doing the podcast is because it sort of forces me to do the creative things that I like doing that we don't always make time for. We don't always make time for the things for which we're passionate, for the things that brighten our lives and fill them with color. Things like writing, drawing, creating, singing, dancing, those sorts of things. I think it's important that we work that stuff into our lives. So I try to approach it kind of like a, a job, not in a negative way. Sometimes having a job even has a negative connotation, but I try to tell myself, oh, I have to do this. If I'm going to do it for a podcast, I have to write something this week. I have to research something. I have to look up an organization I want to highlight. And I don't weigh myself down with that. I still try to keep it this enjoyable thing, not an obligation. But then it, it puts a little pressure on myself. And sometimes we think that's a bad thing, and it's not. It's good to be disciplined. It's good to build in some routines. It's, it's good to treat important things like they're necessities. Because for me, it is a necessity. It's a necessity in the sense that it makes me happier, makes me feel a little brighter. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to play my guitar and I like to sing some songs. And I thought maybe I'll add, add this to some of the podcasts. I apologize. I'm a very poor singer and an even worse guitar player. But some things in life aren't about how good you are at them. It's about how much you love them. And I, I love doing this and I need to make a little more time to just play my guitar. It's sort of a meditative thing for me. And to kind of just sing some old folk songs and I write some of my own songs. And I'm going to leave you with a song today. So if you're not in for this sort of thing, you can go ahead and end now. I appreciate you all, but I'm going to sing a little song by Blaze Foley. This song is called Clay Pigeons. ticket to ride Gonna find me a lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side 
Ride till the sun comes up and down around me about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat. Try to hide my sorrow from the people I meet and get along with it all. Down where the people say y'all. Sing a song to a friend. Change the shape that I'm in. Get back in the game and start playing again. I like to stay, but I might have to go and start over again. Maybe back down to Texas. Maybe to somewhere that I never been. Get up in the morning. Go out at night so I don't have to go home. Used to being alone, change the words of this song and start singing again. I'm tired of running around looking for answers to questions that I already know. I could build me a castle of memories just to have somewhere to go. Count the days and the nights that it takes to get back in the saddle again. Feed the pigeons some clay. Turn a night into day. And start talking again when I know what to say. I'm going down to the Greyhound station Gonna buy a ticket to ride Gonna find me a lady With two or three kids And sit down by her side Ride till the sun comes up and down Around me about two or three times Feed the pigeons some clay Turn a night into day and start talking again. Thank you for joining me, everybody. Love y'all. Love each other. Peace.